Hi, and welcome to the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. A shout out to all of you who are tuning in from around the world. And uh, thanks to everybody who does wherever you are and whenever you do tune in. I'm Richard Lanford. I'm the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, a suburb just outside of Chicago. In fact, I and my wife live in Chicago proper. And the message today is called, Love This, Not That. And I'll explain the origin of the topic as I start the sermon. I could go different ways in this message based mostly on Luke's story from Jesus of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Could go a lot of different ways. I I refer to a couple of them, but uh, I'm ending in a way I wouldn't have thought to when I first decided to follow the selectionary reading for today, September 25th, 2022. So I hope that you will enjoy it as much as I did practicing it. I rehearsed it earlier today, and sometimes I feel a sense of affirmation that that this is okay. Uh, It increases my hope as a preacher and communicator. Um, And so I hope that you will uh, enjoy it and uh, find yourself inspired and perhaps learn a little bit about 8th century Israel and beyond. So, grateful for you joining me along this journey. Our lector is Olivia Altmeyer. She's one of my confirmation students. Uh, well, certainly over 10 years ago, if not 15 by now. And uh, she's our lector. And uh, I'm not going to make her wait any longer. So... Let me just uh, have a brief opening prayer with you all, and then we'll turn it over to her. Morning by morning, God, new mercies we see. You are faithful. Great is your faithfulness. We ask that your spirit accompany us as we listen and as I preached. May you speak to us in ways that will help us help other people. For we are here for you, and you came for other people, those whom you love, those whom you created, those who you saved, and you came to save the world. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray your blessing. Amen. And here's Olivia. Our first reading is from the prophet Amos. He taught us, he taught in the middle 700 BC. It was during the long and peaceful reign of Jeroboam II when Israel attained a height of territorial expansion and national prosperity never again reached. The military security and economic affluence which characterized the age were taken by many Israelites as a sign of God's special favor that they felt they deserved because of their extravagant support of the official shrines. Into the scene stepped the prophet Amos with a very different opinion. Alas, for those who are at ease in Zion, and for those who feel secure on Mount Seremiah. Alas, for those who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, improvise on instruments of music. 
who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the revelry of the loungers shall pass away. This ends the lesson from the prophet. The epistle passage comes from the first letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. The apostle is giving some warnings and some advice, particularly about how Christians relate to money. Paul writes to Timothy, Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Here ends the... Will those who are able please stand up for the reading of the Gospel? This morning it is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This is a section of Luke where Jesus is responding to some ridicule that the Pharisees tossed his way, which ridicule happened right after Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and love. There is more than one lesson we can take from this parable. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, 
Remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. He said, No, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This ends the reading from Luke and our scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, God's holy word. For those of you who have smartphones, you may have a news feed from one operating system or another, or one platform or another, scrolling down the stories you can click to follow. I often see those about diet choices. After a little picture and laying something out, the last brief sentence of the bait says, eat this, not that. Well, more importantly, our passages this morning speak to eternal choices, which surely can deal with what we do and do not put into our bodies. Love this, not that. The passages, plainly and not so plainly, point us to what God wants us to love and what God does not want us to love. Those choices can have grave, and I do mean grave, consequences. In 1 Timothy, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is often misquoted as money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, not money. This eventually can be about life and death. In verses before and after that famous one, we heard, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that can plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Money, then, and particularly riches, which Paul referred to twice, is a not that when it comes to love this, not that. You and I are not to love money to the point that pursuing it is our purpose, our drive is something that gets us eager. Greed is not a Christian value. That follows since earlier in Luke 16, that Jesus said, Last week, you cannot serve God and wealth, a.k.a. mammon. Money can become your God, and you stop trusting God for your security. That's the temptation that Paul was writing about. That can be a life or death. You and I know this, though, not only from that passage, not only from listening to Jesus in the Gospels, maybe from your own experience, 
but also in the other scriptures this morning, there is indeed more than one kind of evil brought into being with the lust and love for wealth. Some of what we hear in the Bible is stuff that is still going on today. I know. Shocker. Shift of gears a little, if you'll allow, but it all plugs together. In the United Church of Christ, we talk a lot about covenant. We are covenant partners in many ways, and covenant is also a biblical way of life. It was for Israel and the Lord, but not so much in Amos' time. The love of luxury and self-indulgence broke the covenants, and injustice was the result. Allow me to unpack a little. As Olivia said in her intro, this 8th century or 700s BC was a peaceful and prosperous time for most of Israel. Amos, though, and other prophets of this era found fault. And I read something about this that lit up my understanding of this fault. One of my seminary professors, Bernard W. Anderson, wrote, The 8th century prophets used the terms justice-righteousness to refer to, and I have this underlined, the fulfillment of responsibilities that arise out of particular relationships within the community. The 8th century prophets used the terms justice-righteousness to refer to the fulfillment of responsibilities that arise out of particular relationships within community. He continued, each relationship has its specific obligation, and all relationships ultimately are bound by relationship to God. In Israel, they would be. Ethical responsibility, he said, is motivated by the demands and blessing of life in community, within which persons are bound together in various relations and in relation with God. When these demands are fulfilled, that's when justice prevails, when righteousness prevails, and there is shalom, peace, welfare, when not, we have this. Alas, for those who are at ease in Zion, and for those who feel secure about Samaria. Alas, for those who lie on beds of ivory, and lounge on their couches, and eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sounds of the harp, and like David, improvise on instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Dr. Anderson said Amos and the others, the other prophets of that era, perceived, quote, there was no peace precisely because power was not used to fulfill the demands of social relationships, but to oppress and destroy life in community. Sound familiar at all? Charles Kraft, who was on the faculty of Evanston's Garrett Theological Seminary, said that the ruin of Joseph, remember he was one of the 12 brothers of Jacob, uh, and then he got split when they settled, so there were two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. But anyway, you could still refer to Joseph, and you're talking about Israel. Uh, said that the ruin of Joseph meant 
Israel's coming devastation and judgment for its many sins, and Israel's leaders show no concern for it. Instead, Kraft wrote, they sprawl on luxurious couches inlaid with ivory. They feast on specially fattened lamb and veal. They babble drinking songs as they quaff their wine from large sacrificial bowls rather than ordinary cups. And they apply expensive cosmetics to their bodies, oil cosmetics. The leaders and the rich have pursued and sated themselves with the trappings of wealth while the rest of the land suffers from their ignoring their responsibilities, which arose over their relationships within the community of Israel. Arrogantly ignoring God's word to care for the poor and widows, they let their country's moral compass gather dust. Covenant broken. Therefore, judgment was coming. Greed, selfishness, and forgetting God were soon to meet their reward. Love this. Love Israel. Love God. Love justice, O Israelites. By fulfilling the responsibilities which arise out of covenantal relationships within the community in which persons are bound together under God. In Amos' time, it has struck me that this is a corporate expression or almost a national uh, expression of the moral decay and worse which eagerness for riches and a lack of loving the neighbor deliver. God wants those wealthy who can positively influence many to do so with their wealth, not spend it on lavish luxury while never sharing a shekel. End greed and share. Love that, not this. However you look at that. More on that later. The story of the rich man and Lazarus has some similarities with Amos and what was going on, but unlike the social and national consequences of selfish, concentrated wealth condemned in Amos, the rich man is held accountable solely for how he mistreated Lazarus. They have this in common, though. They cared and did nothing for those outside, let alone what the Torah said about generosity to those in need. Now, this rich man is often named Dives from the Latin. There is no name in the scripture itself. Uh, Dives is Latin for really rich guy. Now, with St. Peter's being a feeding partner in Aegis Harvest and having our mini pantry, we are already ahead of Dives, though his bar is set so low, it's the ground. Point by point, Jesus' introduction of one man is contrasted with the other. There was a rich man, and there was a poor man, one dressed in fine linen and expensive purple stuff, and the other was covered with sores. Divas feasted daily. Lazarus longed for what fell from the rich man's table. We have wealth inside, and at the gate, a starving, perhaps naked, perhaps lame, poor fellow who is basically ignored as if he were outside the dining halls of the 8th century Israelite elite. Divas did, and I have this all in caps, nothing for him. He never invited Lazarus in. He, never, he just let him starve while he feasted sumptuously every day. 
Now, it is entirely possible that he had little use for a belief in God. And God did not care about the Torah, which teaches love of neighbor. It teaches care for the poor and sharing. Now, for him, there was only defense. He was callous. He was cruel. He was, he was grasping and selfish. Do not love that. Once in Hades, he asked if Lazarus could warn his living brothers so that this didn't happen to them. And Abraham tells him that his brothers had the law and the prophets to warn them, just like Devas did. If they're to be convinced by anything, that's all they need. They have it. Somebody coming back from the dead isn't going to change them if the word doesn't. Texts, the law is the word which people are to follow, seems to be one of Jesus' main points. Texts, like Isaiah 58, verse 7, demand food and hospitality be provided to the poor. Is not this the fast that I choose? Deuteronomy 15, 7 teaches, if there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community, in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need. All they needed was the word. They had it. Devis, when he was alive, chose wealth. He chose self over anyone else. He chose to obey Devis, not God. As George Caird wrote, his fault was not merely that he used his money for selfish ends, but that he failed to use it for the relief of the beggar who lay at his gate. Devis was wealthy. He was a failure. We find a judgment on not learning or not doing God's law and heeding the prophets as they call for justice and hospitality and generosity for the poor. There is no covenant. There is no relationship. There is no faithful stewardship on those that Jesus is talking about when he spoke of Devas. And we've also got judgment on the unreflective, no reflection, the unreflective, selfish indulgence of the rich while Joseph corporately and Lazarus individually were destroyed. And we, we have the countercultural teaching that the love of money and the eager pursuit of wealth are not neutral. They are a root of all kinds of evil. One of those evils is greed, both individual and corporate. Love Lazarus, not hoarded wealth. Loving wealth takes away our finding our security ultimately in God. Paul was worried about the great temptation, which often comes when one enters the chase to get rich. And that becomes the goal. That's and Paul sees an abandonment of faith in God. Trust and love God, not mammon. Love, having a trusting relationship with God. Love, lifting up persons like Lazarus in need. Love, transforming systems which reward greed into systems which reward generosity. Love this, not that. 
God cannot love the increasing gap between concentrated wealth and the rest of society. What to do? Well, here's an encouraging thrust. This from September's issue of Sojourner's Magazine. Anti-capitalist capitalists are wealthy people approaching their wealth in non-traditional ways. Instead of working to multiply wealth for their family's benefit, they are generating money to give it away. Members in this movement take great care to invest in poverty alleviation, promote racial justice, and support development of renewable energy. Wealth is a way for them to improve the quality of life for all, not just themselves, end quote. Love that. I cannot speak to any role that faith in God or following the teachings of Jesus and Paul play, but you may know, I had to learn this this week, you may know that in August 2010, 40 of America's wealthiest people made a commitment to give the majority of their wealth to address some of society's most pressing problems. Created by Warren Buffett, Melinda French Gates, and Bill Gates, the Giving Pledge came to life following a series of conversations with philanthropists about how they could set a new standard of generosity among the ultra-wealthy. The Giving Pledge is an open invitation for billionaires, or those who would be if not for their giving, to publicly commit to give the majority of their wealth to philanthropy either during their lifetimes or in their wills. is inspired, they said, by the example set by millions of people at all income levels who give generously and often at great sacrifice to make the world better. The pledge aims over time to help shift the social norms of philanthropy among the world's wealthiest and to inspire people to give more, establish their giving plans sooner, and to give in smarter ways. The latest, and with this I will close, is Ivan Schwanal. He and his family, who own the $3 billion business Patagonia, have transferred their ownership of it to a specially, tr specially created trust and nonprofit. The business's annual profits, estimated at around $100 million, will now have the explicit aim of addressing climate change and protecting undeveloped land around the globe. They are another who signed the Giving Pledge. They have chosen no greed, but care and generosity at their ultimate expense. They chose, figuratively speaking, to love Lazarus, not mammon. And that, especially with the eyes of faith, is good news. Love this, not that. Amen. I hope you loved, love this, not that. I don't think I preach often enough, perhaps on the subject of greed, um, because I think that's one of the big problems in our society and in our world. And that comes out of fear, as well as just uh, having the orientation in one's own self that has very little regard for others, for whatever reason and wherever that comes from. 
But so to repeat, I hope you did enjoy this message. Next Sunday is uh, going to be World Communion Sunday. I don't know what the passages are going to be. I often try to preach on Christian unity and the sacrament, but no, no promises. I'm probably going to go with what we have um, and see what Luke has for us, especially because I said before, uh, this is year C in the lectionary cycle, and the gospel usually featured in year C is Luke. And um, I realized that in the last couple of years, I really did my own thing and didn't pay attention to Luke. And as that is uh, a gospel that is uh, near and dear to me, I decided to take the opportunity. The lectionary gives me and focus my preaching largely on that gospel. So um, we'll find out. And I hope you'll tune in for that. This is the redheaded preacher, Richard Lanford, thanking you for tuning in and wishing that God will bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.